In California, a Native American tribe fights for its future. Like many tribes in the United States, they are looking to reclaim their land and their financial freedom. The land is key to who we are, and without it, we will have to struggle to retain our identity and culture, and we can feel a great loss that is profound. It's hard to put into words. This is a case about righting the wrongs of the past, of a tribal nation looking to rebuild and reassert its sovereignty. The federal government had a trust responsibility to the tribal people, not only in California, but throughout the United States, to continue to help and assist for the wrongs that had happened to many of our ancestors generations ago. In this episode, we follow the Wilton Rancheria Band of Miwok Indians, who petitioned the U.S. government to get their land back and create financial stability for their tribe. Little did I know that that process and that quest was going to be so long, so slow, so encumbered with so many challenges. When an organization steps in to stop them, the tribe turns to a team of Hogan Lovell's appellate lawyers to help them fight for what is rightfully theirs. I'm Kate Stetson. This is Proof in Trial, Season 2, Appellate Edition. Stand Up for California et al. versus U.S. Department of the Interior et al. Native American tribes are indigenous to the United States. Long before European settlers arrived, Native American communities lived off the land based on traditional knowledge passed on from generation to generation and thrived. The arrival of Europeans resulted in generations of upheaval, with many tribes being moved, renamed, dispersed, and in some cases, destroyed. As time progressed, tribes not only lost their land, they began to lose their identity. If you had Native American as your ethnicity, you weren't allowed to vote. The federal government created boarding schools in the 30s that took the tribal children and took them away to assimilate them into normal society. Cut your hair. Don't speak your language. Don't profess your culture. They wanted to try to effectively erase Native American culture and language throughout the states and here in California specifically. That's Raymond Hitchcock, a member of the Wilton Rancheria Band of Miwok Indians in Sacramento, California, and a former chairman of the Tribal Council. A rancheria is a term used to describe land that the United States acquired for Indian tribes to live on in California, and it has the same rights as a reservation. But Raymond wasn't born on the rancheria. They were disbanded in 1958, when the government enacted the California Rancheria Act, which terminated 41 tribes in the state and stripped them of their federal tribal status. Despite Raymond and many others assimilating to a new way of life, most never gave up hope of restoring their identity. I always knew that I was Native, but I wasn't born on the Rancheria. I wasn't considered Indian because I wasn't from a federally recognized tribe. I couldn't get health services because I'm not from a federally recognized tribe. It wasn't until 2009 that I could officially check a box, even though I knew who I was, that allowed us to have opportunities that the federal government was supposed to supply. As you can imagine, it was a very frustrating position to be in. Many tribes had to petition the U.S. government to be re-recognized. I'll let my colleague Hillary Tompkins explain. So it is a unique and odd situation where you have 
the United States deciding whether you're a tribe or not. And I do think tribes have this view of, we know who we are and we are tribal nations and we've been here since time immemorial. Hillary is a partner at Hogan Lovells and a member of the Navajo Nation in New Mexico. Like Raymond, federal law and policy removed her from her tribe, but she has spent most of her career helping Native American tribes regain access to resources and reclaim their heritage. One of the great ironies in that is that the U.S. policy was focused on destroying tribal identity and assimilation policies to have them merge into American society and not practice their culture and religion. And then the United States turns around and says, well, if you can't prove that you have your culture and religion and political systems and land base, well, then you can't be a tribe. So one part of the U.S. government is pushing to assimilate you. And then the other part of the U.S. government is asking you to show you haven't been assimilated. And that determines whether or not you've survived as a tribal nation. That's a really tough position to put tribes in. And there is a lot of angst and animosity about that policy, that the approach of the U.S. in that regard. Raymond and other members of the Wilton Rancheria petitioned the U.S. government to be re-recognized and regain their rights. It was a long process. It took over 25 years petitioning the federal government and the Bureau of Indian Affairs for us to be restored as a federal Indian tribe and prove that we were from here and we're still here and still have ties to the Rancheria in Wilton, California. So in January 8th, 2009, the tribe was restored to full federal recognition. It was an exciting day for all of us. However, it was a bittersweet victory because while the government re-recognized the tribe, they weren't given their land back. And according to Hillary, a landless tribe comes with a whole set of challenges. It's really important for tribal nations to be able to govern themselves. And so tribes across the nation have their own governments and they exercise their authority every day over their territory. And that can range from everything from law enforcement to health and safety codes to business regulations as well as economic development. The land is really key to that because without land, if you're a landless tribe, it, it does make it difficult to govern if you're governing over private fee land instead of tribal trust land. And then that really makes it difficult to build uh, community centers and government services and to understand where your jurisdiction lies within that community and to create policy and to provide programs for your citizens. So the land is really key to the exercise of tribal sovereignty. Raymond and the other members of the tribal council applied to have land taken into trust. This is when the secretary of the Department of the Interior acquires title to property and holds it for the benefit of a Native American tribe. Raymond and the Wilton Rancheria wanted the land so that they could become self-sufficient and create new opportunities for all tribal members. Our number one goal was we need to establish a tribal headquarters, sovereign land to where we can conduct business, where we can utilize our sovereignty because on federal tribal trust land, 
tribes don't have to deal with state law. It, they deal with federal law. We have the opportunity to tax ourselves. We have the opportunity to create businesses and to tax those who come to our businesses, whereas we receive the tax benefits to help bolster our tribal government and our tribal people and, and build ourselves up. The plan was to use part of the site to build a gaming facility, a casino and restaurants that would create much-needed revenue that would be used for tribal programs and services. In 2017, their application finally looked like it would be approved, but there was a catch. Raymond was told there were going to be litigation challenges from Stand Up for California, a grassroots organization that opposed the gaming facility. That was when he turned to Hogan Lovells for help. Jessica Ellsworth became our attorney, and she has been the most amazing person to work with, and her dedication and her knowledge and her skills and abilities were just second to none. So it was a blessing to have her as part of the team and help represent us through all the ups and downs and the long, slow legal battle we had to go through. Jessica and the team got to work alongside the Department of the Interior to try to bring the matter to a close. Essentially, Stand Up for California made several arguments against the federal government's decision to take land into trust on the tribe's behalf. I'll let Jessica Ellsworth explain. So Stand Up actually initially filed a lawsuit before the Department of Interior approval had come through, trying to prevent the Department of the Interior from issuing a decision in the last days of the Obama administration. And that preliminary injunction proceeding was rejected by the trial court. The Department of Interior then issued the approval and Stand Up filed an amended complaint because now it was not trying to stop the approval, it was trying to challenge the approval that had happened. And that's the point in time at which the tribe entered into the litigation and we were retained to assist them with defending um, the approval of, of their application. It was as if Stand Up for California pulled out everything they had in their arsenal to try and stop the department from making good on their promise. Stand Up for California uh, challenged the decision to take land into trust on really three bases. They challenged whether the right decision maker within the Department of Interior had made the decision. They challenged whether it was substantively correct for land to be taken into trust for a restored tribe. And they challenged the environmental analysis that was done in conjunction with the specific site on which the fee-to-trust application applied, the, where the gaming facility would be. But Jessica and the Hogan Lovells team were ready. They litigated for Wilton Rancheria in the district court through two rounds of summary judgment. The two district court arguments were divided between the question of whether this was the right decision maker, that was the first argument, and then the substantive questions about restored tribes and the environmental analysis were the second argument. The first argument was set for argument before a, a very new judge who truly had been on the bench for about two months. And so there was limited opportunity to sort of know what to expect from an argument in front of him. Arguing a case in front of a new judge is always a bit of a wild card. The team wasn't sure what to expect, but round one in the first argument gave them hope. Judge McFadden was completely engaged with the issues and asked spectacularly 
insightful questions to all three parties who argued, to stand-ups uh, counsel, to, to the government's counsel, and to us. And so we, we walked out of it thinking we have this brand new judge and he is right on the issues. So now we're going to see what he actually does um, in issuing a decision. And it took a couple months for his decision to come out. And he agreed with the tribe and the government across the board on, on those issues. The second argument, we, by that point in time, knew a little bit more what to expect from Judge McFadden. He was equally engaged, equally on point. He sort of could see where all the tension points were in the arguments and wanted to talk about them. Throughout the case, Jessica and her team were supported by Hillary, who not only has a background in Native American law and environmental issues, but also spent time as the first Native American solicitor for the Department of the Interior, which is the chief counsel of the department, overseeing similar land-into-trust cases. So this legacy of having to kind of fight for your existence and fight for your right to govern is ongoing and endless for Wilton Rancheria and many other tribes. I was just uh, working with the great team under Jess's leadership to uh, evaluate the different interior department policies and practices with regard to these types of issues. And also to give a little bit of background on uh, land acquisitions, proposals of tribes to engage in gaming, and to give kind of that backdrop of federal Indian law to the case. So that was my role. And I did do a lot of work at the Interior Department on similar types of lawsuits that were filed um, by this same plaintiff in other cases. Judge McFadden ultimately agreed with Jess and the Department of the Interior. But Stand Up for California appealed the decision, and the case went to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Once again, Jess and the Hogan Lovell's team set out their argument. In the D.C. Circuit, it was a COVID argument, so we did it via Zoom. That panel as well was very engaged, particularly on this decision-maker issue and wanting to understand the boundaries of delegation law and whether there should be any difference between the way delegation law worked on statutory duties and delegation law for regulatory duties. And so for them, that was the meatiest issue to dig into and what we spent most of the oral argument discussing. Let me explain. At the time the decision was made, the assistant secretary for Indian affairs was a vacant position. And so the person filling in and performing those duties on a substitute basis was the one who approved putting the land in trust. So could there be someone filling in and performing that duty? We had to convince the court that the answer was yes. And this mattered to the government beyond the tribe because uh, in those last days and weeks of the Obama administration, the decision maker who had signed Wilton's fee to trust application had signed a number of other decisions as well. So both the government and the tribe were united in wanting to get a clear holding that the authority to approve fee-to-trust applications was delegable, meaning that it could be delegated to someone else to complete. Jess and the Department of the Interior laid out their arguments and then waited for the D.C. Circuit's decision. However, before the court could rule on the case, Stand Up for California struck again. So the week before the D.C. Circuit ruled on the case, Stand Up had actually filed a motion 
asking the court to force Wilton to stop construction. And that was, a, I think, a scary moment for the tribe because they had invested tremendously in buying this land in the first place, in putting together the plan for what this project would look like. They now had crews on site. They had broken ground. And the, the notion that the court might halt this was very scary to them. So Jess and the team got back to work to figure out how to respond so that the court understood the importance of the tribe's project. But before the team was able to put their statement together, there was yet another twist. But before we filed anything, the court ruled in our favor just a few days later. And so that was really a a tremendous pendulum shift from the anxiety that the court might halt the project entirely to we just won. And so we actually had a call set to finalize the filing we were going to make saying, please don't halt this project. And instead we turned it into a celebration call where we got to explain that we won and what the next steps would look like and to reassure them that there was no question about anyone halting their construction project. Keep those bulldozers going, keep those diggers digging. On February 14th, I did a public groundbreaking and announced to the world that Wilton Rancheria, after 58 years of being landless, now has 38 acres of tribal trust land in Elk Grove, California. And we finally have our first parcel of trust land to reestablish and start our new reservation. The decision to put land in trust for Wilton Rancheria was a big step toward self-sufficiency. It was also crucial to preserving the tribe's identity. What it will do for our tribal people is it'll bring back our culture. We're bringing back language classes, cultural classes, teaching our youth and our adults alike those lost songs and traditions that are still around, that few still have the knowledge, but we're trying to share it to make sure that we capture it before it's too late. And this gives us those opportunities to move forward and do so many great things to revitalize our culture and who we are as Native people and to bring us up for generations to come. For Hogan Lovells, it was also a great victory, not only for the Wilton Rancheria, but for all the work they do with Native American tribes. It's really empowering and fulfilling to do legal work on behalf of tribal nations, to work on those tough issues and try and create some positive change. It shows that we are writing the course of history. For me, it's just a affirmation that we have rights, that the courts can bring justice in recognition of those rights, and that the United States can change and be on the side of the tribes. You can find more information about our appeals team at hoganlevels.com. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of Proof in Trial, Appellate Edition. Until next time, I'm Kate Stetson, and thank you for listening.